Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. All right, welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Producer Joe, how are you today? What's next, Dano? I know. I know. What's next? The news is uh, the news cycle yeah. so fast you can't step away for yeah. two minutes. Well, let me get right to it because I've got a lot to get to today on Monday. Catch up for the weekend. We have been off taking a break uh, from the news cycle on the weekends, but the news cycle not taking a break from us. No. Um, today's show brought to you by our buddies at WaxRx. You know how much I love my sponsors. I will not recommend products I can't use, won't use, and aren't terrific. Uh, this is a product that's really helpful. It's helpful for me. Wish I would have had it when I was working in the. Uh, Secret Service with the earpiece where I had a big problem with earwax in my ears. It builds up. It's hard to get out, and you're not supposed to stick those uh, those cotton swabs in there to clean that out. That's not the way it's supposed to work. So this is a customer review I saw from WaxRx, which isn't the sexiest product to talk about, but it works really, really, really well. This is a quote. I used to have to go to the doctor twice a year to get rid of my stubborn, hardened earwax. With the rising cost of, cost of health care and thus a double deductible, I'd have to spend $60 per visit, $120 per year to treat my ears. Now I can do it myself with WaxRx and a significant savings that doesn't require me to miss a half a day of work. Thank you, WaxRx. Right now, you can try the magnificent WaxRx system by typing in GoWaxRx.com. That's GoWaxRx.com. Use offer code Dan at checkout for free shipping. That's GoWaxRx.com. Trust me. Try this stuff. You're going to be like, whoa. You know, what's, in them, what's in them ears? Don't wait. You have no idea what you might be missing because of inner earwax. Who knows? It might just change your life. Visit GoWaxRx.com, and please use offer code Dan. All right. Um, it, it, folks... This, what's going on right now is really just uh, amazing. I mean, I, again, I don't want to be one of these guys who, uh, you know, go, oh, gosh, the, you know, the, the days of the past were someone. Listen, we've always had conflict in the country. We've always had issues. We've had the 60s. We had a civil war. Um, we've been through two world wars. I mean, there have been obviously troubled times in the past, too, and I don't want to over-dramatize the situation we're in now. But uh, it just seems now that it, it's not, it's like we can't just seem to agree on basic rules of the game anymore, Joe. And this is what's bothering me. I mean, this weekend we had a, an unbelievably horrifying synagogue shooting uh, in, in, um, in Squirrel Hill. And, and immediately, again, instead of us seeing this as what it is, as this, this national tragedy, um, the largest, largest act of anti Semitic violence we've seen in this country when it comes to, uh, uh, the 11, uh, 11 uh, people who were killed in this in this attack. We can't just seem to agree on a common set of operating rules, and this is what's deeply disturbing. Right away, everything now. We live in a time now, Joe, where everything becomes instantly political. Mm-hmm. Instantly. Despite the fact that the evidence is overwhelming that the uh, maniac who is um, alleged to have carried out this attack um, is is in fact a, 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 a hater of Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't matter to the left, which immediately has to start to politicize these incidents. And folks, I just want to hit a couple points about this before I move on, because I've got a lot of material, and I'm, I'm frankly so tired of the media, and America's so tired of the media, that we're at the law, we're reaching an asymptote right now. We're at a law of diminishing returns uh, with the media. The media has done themselves so ugly that, I, I mean, just candidly, Almost no Republicans and large portions of independents completely ignore them now. They are speaking to an isolated bubble of people in coastal elites, um, urban elites, and others in academia, and they are speaking to no one else. And the reason that, that that's becoming a, a real problem is because it's hardening those people. It's hardening those people to 
uh, the facts vaccine, where they become immunized to the reality on the ground and start to believe this gaslighting narrative that the media puts out there. It's sickening. Um, It's gross what's going on. The efforts to pin any abhorrent act on Donald Trump and make Trump seem like the cause of it, while they themselves, Joe, you just had uh, that that funeral. Was it Aretha Franklin, her funeral, where Mm -hmm. you had a known anti-Semite, a a virulent anti-Semite, Louis Farrakhan, who compared Jews to termites just recently. You had a known anti-Semite on stage taking photographs, I mean, on stage. Uh, You can see the pictures of him on stage with Bill Clinton. Yeah, saw it. Still a significant, regardless of your feelings about him, still a significant figure in the Democratic Party. But again, that story gets sidelined. This is why I I think Trump gets it, that everybody understands that the real, the problem we're having here, the, the, uh, the genuine issue we're having here is the lack of facts, data, and actual journalism out there, and people's, their seeming rebellion against it because they are so tired of this narrative pushing. Now, that, again, that's obvious, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm just speaking out of frustration for a moment. I don't like to just repeat things you already know, that you can't trust the media. So let me just get to one thing, too. One, about these uh, synagogues and churches. I've said this before from a former uh, special, specialist in security during my last line of work. Folks, churches and synagogues are uniquely vulnerable places. And if you're a, a member of a church or a synagogue, um, or any place of worship for that matter, because they all have the same characteristics, let me just give you some quick tidbits of information as a former security officer uh, with the Secret Service or agent, I should say, that you can hopefully pass on to people in your church. Mm-hmm. Remember, why are they uniquely vulnerable? Where's the entrance to most churches? Is it, be, Joe goes to church, is it behind the pulpit? Do people walk in as the priest or the rabbi is conducting the service behind the, the altar? Or, the, or, or uh, someplace, sometimes they have like a stage area in larger churches. Is that where they come in? Mm-mm. No. They come, they in, come the, in the back. Yeah, behind from behind now why does that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, why does that matter? Well, that matters because that's not necessarily the setup of a school or somewhere else. Mm-hmm. In a school, there are multiple points of entry that are monitored. Now, schools are, have become, sadly, targets for targeted violence. There's no doubt about that. But if you had armed people at these points of entry, at these schools, it's easier to mitigate. Why? Because you can see them coming. What's the problem with the church? And if you're in a church, you're a priest in a church, you're an employee in a church, you're a security guard in a church, you have to remember this. The issue with churches on the security front is that the entrances are almost always, all of them, in the back. Where is everybody's attention? Unlike other places, hospitals and elsewhere, everybody's attention is forward on the altar, the pulpit, or like I said, in some of these bigger churches, they have almost like a stage area. Everybody's attention is forward. Now, this was not a, a, uh, uh, um, this was not a mass. It was a synagogue. They were doing a, a ceremony there. But remember, everybody's attention is pointed in the forward direction. The problem with that is very few people are looking at or monitoring the doors unless you have specific assigned security folks. Now, I'm not suggesting if you're in mass on Sunday and people know where I go. You've seen me there. A lot of you listen to the show. I'm not suggesting you should all turn around and watch the doors all the time. Go there to participate in the mass and in, 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 in our exercise of our spiritual health on the weekends that we need. You know, I always say... Uh, Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, said, do this in memory of me. Do. He didn't say, like, watch it on TV in memory of me. Mm-hmm. He meant show up, you know? So, because I got that question when I used to teach a CCD class. Well, can we watch church on TV? No, no, you can't. 
He said, do this in memory of me. But the point is, if you are someone in these churches in a position of responsibility, you have to keep your eyes on those back doors. I get it. Uh, you know, I, I don't want anybody to panic or anything like that. Luckily, the likelihood of these events happening to you and your church, your synagogue, um, your mosque, whatever it may be, are very, very slim, thankfully. There's no need to over-dramatize this. But that does not absolve you of the responsibility to have someone keeping an eye on those doors to, you know, to warn people. At least they have the chance to get out. Someone has the chance to respond. Joe, is this making sense what I'm talking about? Perfect sense, Dano. Every, but you go to, I know Joe, because mm-hmm. Joe performs in some of these years. It is, your everybody's attention is in the same direction. You rarely see that anywhere else other than, say, movie theaters. But in movie, even in movie theaters, notice when we had the movie theater shooting, mm-hmm. that, that, that really horrendous movie theater shooting, he didn't come in the, uh, the back of the movie theater. Why? Because you may say, oh, well, that would be just, just like a church. Everybody's attention is forward. No, it's not. Because to get in the, the back entrance of where everybody comes in, we come in the back. The screen's in the front, right? right? Nobody comes in by the screen. To get there, Joe, you have to pass through what? A lobby mm-hmm. where everybody's looking at the front door. Mm-hmm. Again, think of this as a security person. Where are the entry points? We used to say um, public uh, and press, right? Where do, where do the public and the press come in? Well, the press is not a, you know, the, we bring the press in a different entrance for, for different reasons in the Secret Service. But where does the public come in? If they come in via that entrance, who's watching it? And in a movie theater, you have a lobby. That's why the movie theater shooter in that awful incident came in by the screen. And people could see him. Some of them thought it was part of like a, a, a meet, you know, they thought it was part of an act or something mm-hmm. when it first happened until the gunshots obviously rung out. But that's why he came in the front. Why, Joe? Because he would be undetected. Right. That's why with churches, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm begging anyone listening. I've said this before. When we had the Sutherland Springs incident in Texas, please, if you are a member of a church, it is your responsibility to keep someone's eyes on those back doors. Not only is everybody's attention up front, but they're thoroughly involved typically in the service. That's the whole point of a mass. You're praying, you're singing, you're engaging in. I mean, the only point where people's attention is diverted, Joe, is is what? During during the Eucharist, mm-hmm. during communion. Yeah. You gotta get where people move. are yeah. walking. Yeah, people are walking. Like in my church, they have a uh, two people that come to the back and are ministers, Eucharistic ministers. So people's attention is diverted. To the, but that's the only time you have a unique security threat there. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't spend a lot of time on this stuff because I don't like to beat up a, hey, I was a former Secret Service guy nonsense and stuff like that. But I feel like when I have something to contribute, even though this is not a security-based show, um, that I can put that out there. It is a very unique security threat in a church. And people have figured that out. Sadly, this is not the first time um, sadly, it's probably not the last time we've seen something like this. We had that South Carolina incident as well. Um, it is your responsibility to keep someone's eyes on those back doors. Okay. Um, one more point before I move on to some really um, interesting stuff that I, I, I have for you this week. Uh, the, the attacks from the far left, not just on the right, that are trying to somehow pin this uh, horrendous incident on, on Donald Trump, because that's what they do. I can't encourage you in strong enough terms to just ignore the media now, folks. Ignore them. Please ignore them. Ignore their false narratives. Ignore their gaslighting. Do not click on their material. Uh, just just stay away. Let, let, let them wither away on the vine with their conspiracy theory nonsense. Just get away from them. But we're seeing them now double down on actual like insanity. 
We had Al Sharpton on MSNBC. Um, Al Sharpton, uh, the, one of the worst human beings on the planet. I was a cop in New York when this guy was involved in incidents that would trouble the man's soul, right? Mm-hmm. Any man's soul. Al Sharpton, who for some reason gets to speak out on these issues, some reason I can't quite figure out why, um, Sharpton has commented on the, uh, the Turning Point USA summit at the White House with young black conservative leaders, a, a hugely successful event, Joe, where they had uh, hundreds of young black conservative yeah. leaders at the White House. Now, I tweeted over the weekend, and I mean this, and I want everyone to listen here. Black, white, Asian, Hispanic, I don't care. I want everyone to hear this. That was an incredible moment. If you watch the video of it, you will see these excited young black men and women excited to be there in the White House with President Trump, a Republican president. And I tweeted out this weekend, it's Saturday morning, because I, was re- I woke up in an incredible mood. I just, um, I really was feeling the love when I saw that, that I just want everyone to hear this, that if you happen to be black, you will be welcomed in our movement lovingly. And I mean that word. I mean it every, I mean every bit of that, every, with the word love, love, not like, not, you know, we won't be happily, no, 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 lovingly. I mean that word. And I put it in a tweet intentionally, lovingly greeted into our movement the conservative movement, because it's your movement. It is your movement. There are large swaths of black America who support defending life in the womb, who support liberty, who support freedom, who support school choice. You will be welcomed here with open arms. I am humbly begging you to please just give us a look. We are here for you if and when you are ready. If and when you are ready for a different choice, Maybe you, for some reason, Democrats have appealed to you in the past. I, I don't know. Maybe family ties to the Democrat Party. Maybe the fact that it's just been something in some of the inner cities they've been in charge for so long. There's a certain comfort level. But you don't have to be comfortable anymore. You can be prosperous. And we are waiting. We are waiting for you. Here with open arms. You are welcome. Our house is your house. And with the White House is your house. And it was such an incredible moment. I'll get the sharp in a minute. I didn't forget. Mm-hmm. But it was such an incredible moment, Joe, to see President Trump greeting the next generation of young black leaders in our movement and in the country's movement mm-hmm. and saying, hey, how many of you here want to be president? And every hand goes up in the room, right? Every hand. And he looks at them and says, you and you and you, you can all be president. We have a couple presidents probably in this room. What a refreshing, incredible moment. But of course, that wasn't good enough for the left. And it certainly wasn't good enough for that phony fraud, Al Sharpton, who instead of celebrating a moment where young black leaders were invited to the White House, the White House, to share this moment with the President of the United States, what does he do? He's got to attack them. Claiming it was some kind of a, they were, they, Joe, they were props. Right. Think about this. I want you to listen. If you were in that meeting. I heard it. If, if you weren't in that meeting, but you wanted to be there. Or if you're thinking about being in that meeting in the future where Donald Trump has people back at the, at the White House who are young and black and conservative. Think about what Al Sharpton, this fraud, this fake phony fraud. Think about what he thinks of you. Yes, you. Young, independent-minded Strong, thick spine, backbone, character heavy 
young black leaders, our next generation of leaders, with the cojones to stand up and, and, and think independently and say, no more for me. I am going to think independently outside of political boxes. The left has put me in in the past. He thinks you are a prop. Remember that. Don't forget that. And not, it's not that he thinks you, it's not so much, uh, being candid here, it's not so much that he thinks you're a prop that's horrendous. It's the fact that MSNBC and others take him seriously. <laughs> yeah. The fact that he thinks you're a prop is bad enough. My point is that he's, a, he, he's meaningless without a megaphone. And MSNBC provides it for him. He's one person with a dumb opinion. One person with zero credibility. The fact that other liberals take him seriously is the real horror here. I want you to remember this, and I mean this. You will be loved here. You will be respected for who you are, not the melanin component of your skin, while the other side that claims to be fighting for, quote, your values, your values thinks you're a prop because you had the nerve and the guts and the spine to go to the White House and stand up for what you believe are your values, independent of any indoctrination process by the left. Gross. Gross. Again, more gross comments from the far left, which treats African-American voters, black voters, treats Hispanic voters and Asian voters like props. Folks, they're in a panic. They are in a panic. Make no mistake. The left is freaking out right now because black approval of Donald Trump is going up. Hispanic approval of Donald Trump has stayed steady and has gone up in certain areas. They are in a complete freak out meltdown right now because if they lose, Joe, even four or five percent of the black vote and Hispanic vote Mm -hmm. and Donald Trump in this 2020 reelect takes record numbers of black voters for the Republican Party, the Democrats will be relegated to a minority party forever. There will be nothing left. They will be a coastal party full of coastal elites and academics and Hollywood types, and that will be it. They are already losing working class voters of all races, colors, creeds, and sexes. They are already losing that. But now they are terrified that they are going to be seen as the party of environmental rich, uh, rich guys, Joe, and, and, and jet-setting coastal elites, and they are going to lose black America too. They are in a panic. Therefore, they have to unleash Al Sharpton on everybody. I know what this means to you too, Joe, and I know because Joe, and I, I, not that I want to bait Joe into this, and I, I really, I got, I, I want to, I got a lot to get to, folks, but this is a sensitive topic to me. You know, I, I just, we, grew, I grew up in New York. Joe has lived in Maryland huh. most of his life, yeah. where it, Maryland has the, the the largest population of black voters anywhere in the country. They have the wealthiest, uh, largely black county in the entire country, mm-hmm. Prince George's County, Maryland. Mm-hmm. There are a number. Think about the successful black men that have come from Maryland. Ben Carson, just a recent example. Maryland is an extremely diverse state in the actual sense of the word, not the liberal sense of the word where it's meaningless. What I mean by that is liberals only think of skin color. We don't think of that. We think of diversity in terms of socioeconomic status. We think of diversity in terms of political views, religion. I mean, skin color is obviously a factor too, given the country's uh, history with race, Mm -hmm. but not the way the left thinks about it. The left wants to say black must be Democrat. Why? Because you're props. You have to be Democrat. 
That's their, we don't believe that. And to see this awakening in the black community where people, I mean, even in Maryland, where Governor Larry Hogan, a Republican, granted, again, not the greatest conservative in the world. No. I get it. But far, far better. And think about this, ladies and gentlemen, in, a, in Maryland, the state with the largest percentage of, of, of black Democrats anywhere in the country. There is a black man running for governor on the Democrat side, Ben Jealous. I don't know Ben Jealous. I don't know if he's a good or bad guy. I, I've, I've only followed some of his insane tax policies. And Larry Hogan, who is running on a Republican ticket, is enjoying, is enjoying historic approval, which says to me that this, this silly box the left wants to put minority voters in, that you will be judged exclusively by your skin color. That is, we are breaking that monopoly. And gosh, I'm telling you, it almost brings a tear to my eye to see it happen. You will be welcomed with open arms here, with love and appreciation and understanding. My last point, you will be welcomed with open arms because of who you are. Not because of the melanin component of your skin. Because of nothing else other than because who, who you are as a father, a mother, an employee, a lover of liberty, a lover of this country, a veteran, a union worker, a non-union worker, white collar, blue collar, soccer mom, soccer dad, baseball mom, baseball dad, whatever it may be, your skin color is entirely irrelevant to us, but matters as it's the only thing that matters to the left. You will be welcomed here because of you are, well, you are, not because of your skin color. Because you are deeper than that. And you know it, and we know it. The left doesn't know that. All Al Sharpton says is if you have a melanin, elevated melanin component of your skin, and you are a black American, and you dare to show up at the White House, then you're too stupid to figure it out of yourself, and you're a prop. That, that's what he believes. Those are his words, and go. MSNBC loves every minute of it. What a shame. What a damn shame. Now you want you need, you want to, you understand why just to circle this back while the America's entirely ignoring the far left at this point and their media allies they have become totally irrelevant. They are so ignorant. They judge people entirely by their what some category or some box they decide to check. And when the strategy backfires on them, what do they do? They double down on trying to blame violence on Donald Trump to get you to hate him. Oh, he's a racist. There is zero evidence of that at all. Zero. Donald Trump must be anti-Semitic. He played into the, his rhetoric. But the guy was a Trump hater, you loons. Are you crazy? Donald Trump's daughter is Jewish. So is his son-in-law. Are you this dumb? It's frustrating, man. I know it frustrates you because I know when you and I used to do the show in the mm -hmm. basement mm -hmm. when we first started, we only had a couple hundred listeners. Joe and I got into a conversation about this once. We did it. We used to do the show just once a week. Uh, and and it, Joe was as frustrated as I was because the church Joe goes to happens to be very diverse. Yeah. Well, the, and that it, was my the church before. before yeah. I moved. yeah I, very diverse. And, and, and Joe, and it wasn't like, it's just, Joe was commenting to me how nobody there, I remember this. Nobody there like thought of you. Oh, look, there's a black congregate. There's a white. Con yeah. Everybody's just like, I worship Jesus Christ. And that's why I'm here. Bingo. Nobody cared. It reminded me of this event I went to. Um, my friend Brandon Cooper uh, is involved with, a, with a, an organization uh, called uh, 100 Black Men of Prince George's County. That's the name of the organization. 
Uh, Brandon happens to be black. He worked on my campaign. Again, a point only relevant to the left. I, I really couldn't give a rat's caboose about it, mm-hmm. but it, to the left, that's everything, of course. Now, he happens to be an active Republican, and he brought me to this event one time. It was a long time ago, and I'll tell you one of the moments that sticks out in my head during the three political campaigns. A lot of stuff just kind of blends in and you forget a lot, but one moment I'll never forget, Show is standing in this room with black leaders from across the county, some Democrat, mm-hmm. some Republican. But everybody is a packed house and they started the event show with the Pledge of Allegiance and everybody sat there with their hands on their heart and pledged allegiance to the principles embodied in that flag. And it may seem like a small thing, folks, but I got to tell you, I I sat there and I had a little tear rolling down my cheek because I thought to myself, you know, if we could just get to this point where we all agreed on at least a common set of principles and we could argue the policies later, but that principles are, if we could argue just this one thing, Joe, just this one thing. And this one thing is, we're all in this together. Whether you like it or not, we are all in this together. So impugning other people's character as being racist, anti-Semites, with no evidence at all, Mm. as a political weapon like the left does with us, understand is is, is a path to self-annihilation. The country has no future with that. That's why I said on Fox this weekend during the weekend appearance, and I meant every word of it, there will never be a come-together moment in America until the left abandons identity politics. I said it on my podcast on Friday, too. Never. Because as long as you refuse to accept the fact that we are all in this together and you insist on painting half the country as like enemies of the state and enemies of morality being the worst things possible, racist or misogynist or whatever you want to call them, there is no, there will never, ever be a come-together moment. And, and la- ladies and gentlemen, I'm getting tired of a lot of this stuff. I saw a comment. I'm not going to say who, but he comments for CNN on this morning. Oh, it's on both sides. No, it's not on both sides, folks. It is not. The people in the conservative movement who say insane, crazy things, things that are unquestionably racist, and it does happen once in a while, are shunned forever, Joe. Forever. Yeah, agreed. The people on the right, you know this, Joe. If Joe works at a radio station yeah. in the morning, WCBM. If someone came on your station and said, hey, Blacks do this, and it's an unquestionably offensive racist statement. Mm-hmm. Joe, are they going to invite that person back? Oh, hell no. And of course not. They're going to be like, you go on like a list. All right, get rid of this guy. He's, he's nuts. Not only that, they'll probably come back with an apology later. That doesn't happen on the left. Al Sharpton goes on NBC, calls young black conservative leaders props, and he, yes, Al, nice work, buddy. We, you are the best. Can we book you tomorrow for the 9 p.m. primetime segment? It is not on both sides. It is not. It is not. I remember going to Tea Party rallies when people would put up signs that had really questionable stuff on it. And the leaders of the Tea Party rally, I remember them going up and saying, hey, we're not doing that here. This is about taxes. This is about small government. I, rem- I was there. You're not going to tell me it didn't happen. And yet you go to these Antifa rallies. You just had a thing this weekend at Marsha Blackburn, Senate candidate in Tennessee on the Republican side, running against mm-hmm. uh, Democrat fake moderate Phil Bredesen, who's a radical leftist. You had at a, at a Martha Black, uh, Marsha, Marsha Blackburn rally, Joe. They were, they had, this is not a joke, folks. This is not a sad, sick joke. This really happened. Mm-hmm. They were having a moment of silence for the 11 victims tragically taken from us this weekend in the synagogue shooting. Joe, this actually happened. At a moment of silence, far-left wackos started screaming, 
Marsha Blackburn's a white supremacist. In a moment of silence, acknowledging the, the way too soon taken lives of these 11 victims in a synagogue. And you're telling me it's on both sides? No, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry. I don't accept that premise. I police my own language on this show. And when I say language, I don't mean police my language according to the left's terms. Mm -hmm. I police my own language as to not contribute anymore to this nonsense and to try to give you a path forward. That's what this own the libs thing is about. It's about the exercising of political power, not violence, not aggression, not confrontation. It's about keeping these people from power until they understand that their aggressive confrontational identity politics movement is fruitless. It will go nowhere. They will have that awakening, but they will not have that awakening if they're allowed to take power. Let me point you to a quote by Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton himself. You can't change things if you don't win. That's Bill Clinton. In other words, they want to change things. Right. For the worse. But they have to win. That's what own the libs is about. You can't let them win. You have to keep these people out of power until they figure out that they're just disingenuous, nonsensical, horrifying, character-based attacks on us are a path to nowhere other than self-destruction. That's why you need to vote. There is just no excuse. We, I, I, let me just not lose the thought that I started with. We police ourselves. We always have. I work at specific places. I do commentary at places. I know for a fact that they police themselves to make sure that they are not. I'm not saying we can't argue passionately. Don't get me wrong. Everybody knows I go on the air with an edge. And you should. But there are things you just don't say. You know why? Because they're just not right. right. I'm sorry. There are just things that are morally and ethically not right to say or advocate for. The left doesn't have that emergency break. They say whatever they want. Whatever they want. Can you imagine, God forbid, me going on the air and saying, those black voters who vote for Democrats, they're just a bunch of props. They don't know any better. Oh my gosh, you'd, you'd, you'd never be allowed on cable news against podcasts be shut down tomorrow. But when the left says ridiculous, outrageous things like that, everybody claps. This is, ah, man. Folks, the good news is we have political power now to limit the government and what they can do to you. That's what we believe in. Big, robust, hearty individual rights. That's what we believe in. They believe in the state being able to exercise exercise power over you in a zero-sum game of freedom and liberty. We don't believe in that. The only thing you can do right now is exercise the one thing, the one thing that can stop these people from envisioning, from, from enacting this vision they have of America. And that's keeping them from power. You have succeeded in doing it. We have held the House for a long time now. We can hold the Senate. We can hold the presidency. We can hold the governorships. But it requires you to get out and vote. Go bring 10 friends. Action matters. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. I voted early. Go vote. Go vote now. Go vote straight Republican until the Democrats figure it out. All right. I got a lot more to get to. But as always, I spent more time on a topic I intended to. It just means a lot to me. Mm Mm-hmm. I just wish we could do more. I, I'm obsessed with the idea of reaching out to the black community. And I just, if I had one wish before I died, one wish, if God said to me, you know, Dan, I'm going to give you one thing, just one thing. 
it would be just to break the monopoly that the Democrat Party and the messaging machine has on the black community. This monopoly through the media, through political leaders, it would just be to break the monopoly and be able to crack through. Crack through and just say, you are welcome here with open arms, with love, love, man, love, real love. We want you. We, we need you. And it's not for political power because we want to limit what the government, we want to take power and stop the government from doing things to you. There's a difference. It's not. It's for the advancement of big R rights and individual liberty. Individual liberty and big R rights given by God cannot coexist at the same time of little R rights and rights granted by the state. It can't. Those are two conflicting ideas. We want to stop the government from doing things to you and give that liberty, your money, your school choice, your freedom, your health care freedom back to you. That is not about power. That's anti-power. That is anti-concentrated power. That's diffuse power to individual liberty. That's what we want to do for you. I just wish the black community saw that. It's my one wish. I mean it. It's my one wish. It's not any shallow, crappy stuff like, eh, can I have eternal life? Can I, can I have good looks? Everybody knows I have a cinder block head. <laughs> God, can you round my head off a little more? Well, can you unsquare my jaw? At least you admit it, you know. No, I do, brother. I'm self-deprecating. <laughs> Although it's funny. I always get put on, I, I say this, uh, I get put on these uh, conservative, it's a couple times, you can look it up, like the, the the most beautiful lists for conservative. And I always laugh. I'm like, man, really? You sure, they really dumbed down the standards there. I got like scars all over my face. I'm like a total train wreck. That's pretty man. cool like, though, you know? Yeah, it is funny. Yeah. My wife always laughs. I, I mean, obviously I'm being a little silly. You know, my wife and I, think differently i mean my wife's the most beautiful woman on the planet but uh yeah i just if there was one wish i mean it that's what it would be if we could just crack small percentages into the black community get them to see the liberty and then the enhancement and the prosperity we want to bring uh the world would change big time all right uh, today's show also brought to you folks by we the people holsters best holsters out there they sent me a free sample a long time ago i fell in love with the product and agreed to take them on as a sponsor because getting a, a, you know a good holster is one of those things you just never get rid of i mean i have had mine for years and then when i found this one i got rid of it and i'm now a we the people advocate for them because they are so so good they make their holsters right here in the United States in Las Vegas. They are custom made. They use their own molds. They don't use third-party molds. But that matters. You know why that matters? Because you're going to see every firearm model they provide a holster for fits with absolute precision. Not only that, these things are really, really cool to look at. The designs they have, they have the Constitution design, uh, the camo. They have the thin red line, the thin blue line. They change their designs often. They also have on the holster, which is really cool, because some of these things can be uncomfortable if they're not designed right. You can adjust the cant. You can adjust the ride, meaning if you know, you're know having an issue with those in-the-pants holsters with the hip bone, you know what I'm talking about. Not with this. You can adjust it to make sure it fits perfectly right in that little crevice right there so you don't have to worry about anything. Also, there's an adjustable tension screw. What does that mean? Some people like me, I like a little more secure fit. So you'll get that click when you insert the firearm in the holster. Click just like that. But if you want it a little looser and you don't want it to fit as snug, uh, maybe you're at the range that day, whatever it may be. I don't know. You can adjust it, make it a little looser, and it'll, it'll give you a little less tension. That's entirely up to you. It's a great holster. The adjustable tension is one of the key, uh, key of, uh, features of the product. But here's the real key feature. They start at just $34. But 
Not only do they come with a lifetime guarantee also and they ship free, but if you use promo code DAN, you'll get $10 off. So here's the website, wethepeopleholsters.com slash DAN. That's wethepeopleholsters.com slash DAN. Listeners of the Dan Bongino Show, use code DAN. You get $10 off. Folks, that's $24 with free shipping and a lifetime guarantee. Go check these out. These are the best holsters out there. You're going to love it. I promise you. I kid you not. When I got the samples, I said, sign them up. Love them. Great holsters. Go to wethepeopleholsters.com slash Dan. Use promo code Dan for 10% off. Okie dokie, doggy daddy. Quick, where's that from? True Romance. One of my favorite (sighs) movies. Okie dokie, doggy daddy. Love that movie. He said, I want to live fast, die young, make a handsome corpse. I do not, by the way, but I always thought when I was a kid, you know, that was the James Dean moment from Christian Slater for me. Okay. Um, I had this economics piece, but I really want to get to this. Um, George Papadopoulos has been tweeting a lot lately, uh, lately, uh, a lot, and uh, we're still arranging. uh, I just try to get down a good list of questions for an interview uh, I'd like to do with him at some point in the future here. But I want to make sure it's not stuff you've heard before. You can go to the mainstream media to get that. So there's a couple things I'm working on. One of the things he tweeted about, which I found very interesting, because we've been hitting on this repeatedly throughout the last six months, is the role of someone who's going to pop back onto the scene soon. Remember, remember the names. Remember, remember the names. All right. Remember Dash. Remember the names, right? I say that all the time. Remember the names. I want you to remember to remember the names. Why? Because one of the names that you're gonna, that's going to creep up, and we've seen this before, where a name... I mentioned in 628, 629, those episodes we did, episode numbers early, creeps up later, and all of a sudden it seems like breaking news when it's not. I'm not trying to take credit for all this stuff. I'm just telling you that people who understand this saga, like I did, I mean, like I said, I literally wrote a book on it. These names are all important, and I'm going to get to that in the reason for, in a, in the reason for that in a minute. But one of the names early that had, that had creeped up that kind of faded and then came back into prominence was Bruce Orr. Remember, Joe, we were talking about the information yeah. superhighway almost, uh, you know, seven months ago. Yeah. And then Bruce Orr creeped back in the scene. Everybody was like, oh, my gosh, there's this Department of Justice guy. If you were listening to the show all along, you already knew the story. But someone we harped on early as being, I believe, a key figure in this entire scandal, who I think you're going to start creeping back on the scene. See, and I, I see Papadopoulos' tweet about him, is Victoria Newland. Oh, now. Yeah, I know you remember it. Yeah, but now, I haven't heard that name for a while. Yeah, in a while. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people have. But there's a reason Victoria Newland's name is going to start creeping up again. And here's the reason. Again, putting out the lead first. I get this question all the time on her email. Paula and I read your emails. My daughter, not so much anymore. She's back in school. But we read all of your emails. And Paula said to me, you got to address this. One of the questions we get all the time, Joe, is who organized this thing? Mm. The Spygate thing. Who, like, who was the ringleader? And folks, I have suggested to you repeatedly, and I'm going to say again here, the hallmark of any conspiracy theory, and I don't mean that in the way the left use it, I mean genuinely, like a, a conspiracy theory that's probably not true, like this person did this. The hallmark of any conspiracy theory is it's tied up in a neat little bow. Mm. Yeah. When you see that, you're like, well, Obama organized the whole thing, and that's it. And he, folks, that typically means the theory's nonsense. But there's a reason for that. I don't just throw that out there to kind of like, you know, look, look at me. I'm above all. I'm throwing it out there because it's true. I worked in the federal government. I understand 
at least on the Intel IC side and the law enforcement side, generally how it works. I mean, I don't know every single thing. Obviously, nobody does. But having spent 12 years there, interacting with intelligence agents of, the, of our government overseas, law enforcement agents here in law enforcement cases, the Secret Service is one of these jobs where you really get a diverse flavor for how the government works because you do a little bit of everything, a little protection, a little bit of intelligence consumption, a little bit of law enforcement, in my case, a lot of bit of law enforcement. And you see how it works. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not that the government is too big, as Father Bob Sirico from the Acton Institute said once. It's that it's too stupid. It doesn't have the ability. It doesn't, Joe's laughing. But it's true. It, there's no ability for the federal government, for one ringleader, Barack Obama. He gives a speech. Okay, all leaders in the White House today, I want to spy on Donald Trump. Send me a plan. That's not the way it works. That's not the way any of this works. I'm not suggesting to you Obama doesn't have a role. Of course he does. If you listen to the shows, he has a, a, he's knee deep in this whole thing. I'm simply suggesting that the question of who organized this whole thing is actually should be broken down into multiple parts. Not who organized it, but how many organized it and why. Who is it? Was it Milton Friedman or, or Walter Williams? I forget. Forgive me. I know I'll get emails on it today. But I think it was Friedman who said any time... You want to find out a, a, a motive or a, a choke point or something. Look for, quote, self-interest. What's the self-interest? What is the self-interest in so many people being involved in this spying operation to take down and implicate the Trump team in a fake collusion scandal? What's the self-interest? Well, I broke it down into four subsets here. There was most likely a bureaucratic ringleader. Okay. Uh, Hence the Newland section. I didn't forget that. This, I'm just trying to make this simple for you. There was likely an intelligence community ringleader who may not have had to put anything out there, but understood fully what he was doing by incentivizing certain behavior and disincentivizing others, mm-hmm. which I believe was John Brennan. There was unquestionably an FBI law enforcement ringleader. Someone who had a heavier, not, not the only role. He's not the only guy. Even leading in the ring, there's still other people in there with him, which I believe was Andy McCabe. Who was the political ringleader? You may say Barack Obama. I'm not so sure. I mean, I'm not saying he was not involved. I'm just saying he was effective at diffusing blame to everyone else, giving himself plausible deniability. The political ringleader, I believe, was Harry Reid based on the August, uh, the, the uh, early August memo he wrote to the FBI. Now, I don't have time to cover the other three, but I do want to cover Newland based on Papadopoulos' tweet, and I believe he's right. I believe her name is going to resurface and why. Why was she the, the bureaucratic ringleader? In other words, the bureaucracy. She's not elected. She's the Assistant Secretary of State for Eurasian Affairs in 2017. Hillary Clinton is gone from the State Department um, at that point. Uh, excuse me, 2016, and when the whole thing is going on. Uh, Hillary Clinton's gone. John Kerry's the Secretary of State. A couple of things happen with Newland, folks, that are going to just totally scramble your eggs. And the fact that she has been able to somehow wade through this untouched, relatively untouched, is incredible. I believe Newland has a significant role in marshalling the federal bureaucracy where it can be helpful in advancing this Russian collusion fairy tale. Let me walk you through a series of 
Lemony Snicket's An Unfortunate Events or whatever that movie is, right? <laughs> yeah. We now know, Joe, that Christopher Steele, who produces the fake dossier, which is the foundation of the entire collusion fairy tale, right? Mm-hmm. The collusion fairy tale is summed up in the dossier Christopher Steele produces, who's working for Hillary Clinton through Fusion GPS, right? Mm-hmm. Steele visits the State Department, Joe, in October of 2016. Wait, what? A former foreign spy doesn't visit the CIA. He visits the State Department, a bureaucratic diplomatic channel for the United States. He visits the State Department of October of 2016. We don't find out about this until Newland is, Nick Victoria Newland is placed under oath. Why is this meeting suspicious outside of the obvious, Joe? Oh, you had an oppo researcher, Christopher Steele, who used to work for a foreign intelligence outfit, hanging out in the State Department? Oh, gee, gee, that, something strange about that? Nah, nothing to see here. What's interesting about it is their efforts to make this thing go away and Victoria Newland's seemingly contradictory statements. Please, please read this article. I have a, uh, the Weekly Standard, which is not, you know, it's pretty much anti-Trump almost all the time. But they do have some good writers over there. There's a really good piece I have from the Weekly Standard up about this very, it's a little older, but it's about this very meeting. It's short with Victoria Newland at the, at the State Department, Joe, who she works there. She's the Assistant Secretary of State mm-hmm. and how her story on this thing cannot possibly make sense. When asked about the meeting, this is a quote. She was asked about the meeting, and she's like, uh, no, 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 I, I didn't agree to participate in the meeting, but I didn't know anything about it. Uh, huh? Here's a quote from the piece. What she, Newland, did deny was participating in the briefing by Steele, Joe. But she had trouble keeping her story straight. Hmm. Asked if she had any role in the meeting, Newland told the committee, I did not. I actively chose not to be part of that briefing. So Richard Burr, Republican senator on the committee, says to her, but you were aware of the briefing? I was not aware of it until afterwards, Newland claimed. <laughs> so, so the writer says, so let's see if we can sort this out. Newland claims she actively chose not to be part of a briefing that she was not aware of until after it happened. <laughs> How does that work? I chose, she, let me, I did not, I actively chose not to be part of that briefing that she claimed she wasn't aware of. How do you actively choose not to partake in a briefing that you claim to not be aware is happening? Folks, they're covering something up here. And what they're covering up is an information superhighway, as I've said repeatedly, bypassing normal intelligence channels that would have vetted and shut this stupid collusion story down because our intelligence professionals wouldn't have allowed it. And they, 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 they mainlined it like a drug IV right into the upper levels of the State Department, the FBI, and to John Brennan himself. Remember his meetings with Bob Hannigan, the British GCHQ head, the intel yeah, guy, yeah. at the, quote, director level? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why was everything at the director level, Joe? Because the rank and file intel guys and law enforcement people in the bureau would have saw this thing and would have never, they would have never signed their names on it. Another question I get a lot. People will say to me, well, Dan, you vouch for the FBI all the time. I do because I worked for them. Listen, if that bothers you, I'm sorry, but I have personal experience. They say, well, why did nobody speak out? Where are the whistleblowers? Because there were no whistleblowers to be had. 
they pipeline the information literally into the upper levels of the FBI and DOJ. They bypassed the whole lower level rank and file street people who knew what they were doing. Do you, Joe, does that make sense? Yeah, man. It's like sure. me. Joe works at CBM. Something sure. happens at the station. And and there's a, say there's some kind of mass conspiracy with the owner of the station. Yeah. It's like you emailing me. Well, why didn't Joe say something? Why didn't he? Because he didn't know. He had nothing to do with it. Yeah. The rank and file FBI men and women doing the work, doing the work, the actual work, we're not aware of this was pipeline to McCabe, Stroke, Price Step, and Comey, Baker, Rabicki, Lisa Page, all of them. These were the upper level matter. It was not being seen by the low level guys. That was the point of the information superhighway. Yeah, they're passing the info under the table where you can't Under the see table it. because if it went over the table and people saw it in a normal right. way and it was vetted up the chain, Joe, people would have been like, this is crap. Right. This dossier is complete hooey. It's garbage. That's the point. But it wasn't just pipelined into the upper levels of the FBI, as Joe said, under the table. Mm-hmm. It was also pipelined into the State Department. But why? Why? If the State Department has no significant intelligence capabilities at all, they're consumers, largely. Why would a former intel guy for the British working for Hillary go to the State Department? Well, maybe after I tell you this, it'll make a little bit of sense. Uh Uh-oh. Who was Victoria Nuland? Well, she's working for the Obama administration, but she has deep, deep connections to the Hillary folks. Victoria Nuland, who is receiving now, clearly at some point, some form of information from Christopher Steele. She's denying taking part in a meeting she claims she didn't know about. She says she actively didn't want to take part in it. We already know, according to Jonathan Weiner, who wrote the op-ed in the Washington Post, another State Department official, that he gave information from Steele to Nuland. So Nuland's role in this is not to be questioned anymore. We already have people admitting it. Let's be crystal clear on that. Newland is the information superhighway in the State Department. Bruce Orr is the information superhighway in the DOJ. It's clear that Andy McCabe, Stroke, and maybe Price Step are the information superhighway in the FBI meant to bypass all normal procedures. Who is Newland? Folks, she was the chief of staff to Strobe Talbot. Follow me here. Strobe Talbot was deputy secretary of state under Bill Clinton. Why does this matter? Because Strobe Talbot's brother-in-law, I'll I'll, I'll go through this in a second. Strobe Talbot's brother-in-law is a guy named Cody Shear. Cody Shear is one of the people who is alleged to have produced other dossiers that may have made it into the State Department, along with the Sid Blumenthal memos, that were used to attack the Trump team later. Cody Shear is nothing more than a political hack. Cody Shear's brother-in-law is Strobe Talbot, who was Victoria Nuland's boss. She was the chief of staff. So let's just be clear on what's happening here. A guy working with Sid Blumenthal named Cody Shear, Sid Vicious, the Hillary Clinton political attack master, is producing their own series of memos on the Trump team. Cody Shear's brother-in-law is Strobe Talbot, whose chief of staff was Nuland, who is now an assistant secretary of state in the State Department, shuttling information over to the FBI from these dossiers by Cody Shear and Steele. Folks, this stuff is incredible. Now, getting back to that, I believe Friedman quote about look for the self-interest, right? 
What is Newland's interest in making all of this go away and making sure the Trump team investigates none of this and if he does, the sick Bob Mueller on them later? Folks, who was one of the authors of the Benghazi talking points that have been largely debunked? It was Victoria Newland. Again, this isn't conspiracy theory stuff. Just look it up on the internet yourself. From more than credible sources. One of the authors of the Benghazi talking points that turned out later largely to be garbage, junk, spin stuff was Victoria Nuland. So not only does she have a vested interest in nobody probing what actually happened in the Obama scandals of the IRS and Benghazi and otherwise, she's also a friend of Bill Clinton's. She's a friend of the administration. She was the chief of staff to the brother-in-law of the guy producing a series of memos used like the dossier. She has a self-interest in making all of this go away and also covering up her role in this meeting at the State Department with Christopher Steele in October. I actively chose not to participate. But you just said you didn't know about the meeting, so how did you actively choose not to participate? Um, ah, uh, uh, yeah, uh, I kind of stepped on it there, didn't I? <laughs> oh, you can get, you expect an email from Paula. About Stupid dog. <laughs> I like the addition there. <laughs> Maybe she'll like that. Yeah. By the way, the pro, we did a poll on Twitter. The pro-Muttley forces united behind you, Joe. Oh. It's, uh, it's 80 plus percent pro-Muttley. So sorry, folks. Majority rules, right? We, are, we, do, we do believe in liberty, and this just shows a direct democracy. You voted pro-Muttley, <laughs> so Joe wins. Although my wife says she gets 50% of the vote. But that, <laughs> she's the author of the Benghazi talking points. She has an interest in making sure Donald yeah. Trump's team never looks into them, and we're always, always on the offensive with them. Now, here's where it gets fascinating. Victoria Nuland is also one of the people involved heavily in Ukraine policy, given her assistant secretary of state status. She's also involved with loan guarantees to Ukraine. Now, why does that matter? Folks, she was caught on tape once. The tape is out there. You can listen to it yourself. It's not a conspiracy theory. One of her calls was intercepted. Now, the call is not a good one. Um, the call is her and this Ukrainian, and they're talking about who is going to take over for Yanukovych, who was um, a Ukrainian leader at the time backed by Russia. She was intercepted in that call, and the call made it out to the public. It was uh, pretty humiliating for the United States government. There were some attacks on the European Union. It was Victoria Nuland's call. Now, a lot of folks believe that that call was released by Russian intel people. To embarrass, remember, because I, I, I'm, I'm, this may get a little confusing, and forgive me, but listen to it twice the last few minutes if it matters, okay. because it's important you understand this. All right. Newland is on the side of the Yanukovych opposition. Yanukovych is the pro-Russia guy leading Ukraine. She's on a call with another individual talking about a replacement plan for Yanukovych, who's backed by the Russians. So the Russians don't like Victoria Newland at all, right? obviously. The call's embarrassing. The United States is forced to apologize because she takes some shots at the European Union in the call. It's not a, a, a great moment for the United States uh, in that to the call. Now, the rest that the Russians did it is pretty disgusting and grotesque or, or alleged to have done it. But one of the things about that call is the narrative gets set really, really early. I want you to listen to a, 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 a quote I'm going to read here from Hillary Clinton herself, from her book. 
she uses the Newland intercepted call that they believe was released by the Russians. You following me? Yeah. It's clearly an anti-Russian call because the guy they're trying to get rid of and file a replacement plan for is a pro-Russian guy, Yanukovych, in Ukraine. Quote from Hillary Clinton's book about Russians, you know, weaponizing intel. The Russians were not just stealing information for intelligence purposes, as all countries do. They were now using social media and strategic leaks to weaponize that information. What does that mean, folks? The narrative was already set. Could you apply that narrative to the Trump dossier? The Trump dossier, they were stealing information. There was an exchange of emails. Ladies and gentlemen, like I told you about the Wall Street Journal article written by Glenn Simpson and Mary Jacoby in 2007, where the movie plot was already written about Russian influence in the United States and they just swapped out Donald Trump's name. They needed a narrative. Newland has a clear role in this. The interception of her call by the Russians creates this template for a story about the Russians weaponizing social media, which may have been true in the Newland case, but all they do is swap out Newland for Donald Trump. Oh, look, they were stealing the DNC's information and Hillary's, and they passed it on to the Trump team, and they used social media and Facebook to magnify the effect of Russian influence. Ladies and gentlemen, they had this pre-existing template. This is why Newland's so important in this, and they just basically swapped out the names for Donald Trump. Folks, don't be a sucker. I'm begging you. Please, please don't be a sucker. Don't be a sucker. These, this was a movie script that was already written. Already written. They just swapped out the names. One final thing on this. Uh, you know what? Before I get to that, I have one final read for the day. Uh, today's show also, but let me go over a little bit, Joe, because it's an important show. But uh, today's show also brought to you by buddies at Brickhouse Nutrition. They make my my favorite nutrition product out there. It's a product called Foundation. If you haven't tried it, you have no idea what you're missing. If you want to look better, feel better, perform better, you must try Foundation. Is that good? The reviews I get on the product are absolutely fantastic. They are fantabulous. Now, if you don't believe me, all I ask is that you try the mirror test. I thought of this because it happened to me. Before I started taking foundation, I work out a lot. Now, I, 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 you know, I'm in a, my bathroom surrounded by mirrors, and I remember taking it after seven days thinking, what the heck? Sheesh, this stuff is amazing. It's that good. Uh, it is a creatine ATP blend. It'll help you perform better. It'll help you look better. Take that mirror test. Before you start taking a product, look at yourself in the mirror. Take a little bit of a mental snapshot. Take the product. Give it about seven days to load. And then... I want you to go back. Yeah, I like that. Then go back and look at yourself again seven days later. You're going to be like, wow, this stuff is amazing. I had a guy who emailed me a while ago. He's like, my wife was really impressed. It's that good. Go check it out. Go to BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. That's BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. Check out Foundation today. You will not regret it. BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. Check out Foundation today. It's a terrific product. I can't recommend it highly enough. Look better, feel better, perform better. Send me your reviews. You'll absolutely love it. All right. So just to sum this up, the bureaucratic leader in this, marshalling the bureaucracy to swap out the movie script already written, the Russians stole Newland's call and they put it on social media. They did. At least the call was intercepted. There's no doubt about it. And the Russians probably played a role in it. 
All they did was take this pre-existing narrative that they already had in conjunction with Glenn Simpson's narrative from the 2007 Wall Street Journal piece about Russian influence, and they swapped out the Trump team. She was the one marshalling the effort because she was the victim of the intercepted phone Mm. call they believed the Russians stole. She had every motive in the world to say, hey, we need to hide all this stuff, my involvement with Ukraine, all this other stuff. So what are we going to do? Oh, well, I was already intercepted by the Russians. And you know what? They used the information, weaponized intelligence on social media. Hey, let's use that against Donald Trump. And by the way, my old boss, Strobe Talbot's brother-in-law, Cody Shear, he's got some information too. And his dossier says Trump was doing just that. Wow, isn't that special? <laughs> Finally, with, the, with Ukraine. There were Ukraine uh, politicians who were involved heavily in this. If you read my book, there's a whole chapter on it. Lashenko and others, people who had alleged that Paul Manafort, Trump's campaign manager, had received this illicit uh, million dollar, multi-million dollar payment and it was taken in a ledger and they found the ledger and Paul Manafort was guilty of taking money from the Ukrainians. Ladies and gentlemen, regardless of your feelings on Manafort, the ledgers never turned up. But the Democrats had a whole branch of people working on this Ukraine story and Manafort's connections. Once they heard Manafort got hired, they had a double incentive. Oh, good. Look, this guy Manafort was lobbying for Yanukovych, the pro-Russia guy. He was on the other side of us. So now let's throw him in the mix too. Little motive for the future. Not to be able to, you know, not, don't get, in other words, don't, don't fight us in the future when Hillary Clinton's elected president. Right. Look what we'll do. All right. Uh, hey, folks, one, one more thing. If, you, um, if you're looking to, uh, to, to come say hello or to meet me or to get a signed book, I'm only doing one book signing. Um, it'll be in Vero Beach, Florida. It will be at the Vero Beach Book Center. Uh, let me give you the address here. Um, you know what? I will put this up at the website. It is Thursday, November 1st at 6 p.m. The Vero Beach Book Center. Uh, it's a really great. I've done a few book signings there. It'll be great. I encourage you to join us uh, Thursday, November 1st at 6 p.m. I will put the link today in the show notes at Bongino.com if you want the address. But if you go to Vero Beach Book Center.com, uh, you can check it out to the details there. We'll, but we'll put it up at the show notes as well, the link. Thursday, November 1st, 6 p.m. Vero Beach Book Center. I will be there signing books, doing a book signing. So if you want to come say hello, please join us. All right, folks, thanks again for tuning in. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes, on uh, SoundCloud, iHeart. It matters to us, helps us move up the charts. It is all free, and we really appreciate your, uh, your, your, your support of the show. It's been moving up the charts big time, so thank you very much. I'll see you all tomorrow. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show. Get more of Dan online anytime at conservativereview.com. You can also get Dan's podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud. And follow Dan on Twitter 24-7 at DBongino.